Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning. Please turn to Galatians, or sorry, Romans chapter 8. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. We'll get to Galatians in a few moments, but let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Also, if you get an opportunity, congratulate Colton Visser upon his engagement. And that, that took place, and I say finally, and you don't know a whole story behind that, and maybe we'll get to hear it one day, but he has been trying for two or three months now to get engaged, and just a bunch of things came in his way and, and never worked out, but we praise the Lord, he finally was able to ask, and she said yes. And so pray for them as they plan their wedding, Colton and B, and it'll be sometime this uh, coming spring, Lord willing. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. A lot of times, if you're discouraged, you can turn to the Psalms, but I would encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8 as well. There is nothing but good news here, and we're excited about what the Lord has said to us in this passage, and I want to share a thought with you this morning that, uh, just like last week, uh, the, the Lord laid upon my heart in the, my Sunday morning devotions about the, the veil of His flesh how we can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus is now that veil. The only thing standing between us and God is a Savior that forgave us. And His message to us is, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so what a wonderful thought that the Lord Jesus Christ would do that for us. And uh, similar this morning, I was up early and reading my Bible and praying, and the Lord burdened my heart about a message in a different direction than I was planning. But uh, I just want to share some simple thoughts with you from the Scripture today that I believe uh, the, Lord, the Lord would give us today, not because Al Fury is saying, but because it comes from the Scriptures. And so let's look at the Word of God says, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to your hearts today. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I was waiting to hear a chorus of praise the Lord. I mean, if they're ever going to say amen, there's a great place right there. Amen. That'll even get a Presbyterian shouting. Let me try it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Listen, understand, we could just stay here and preach for a while. Each one of us ought to split hell wide open. But there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. John chapter 3 tells us that if you don't believe, you're condemned already. If we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we are condemned to a lost eternity without Christ. But if you're saved today, there's no condemnation. It has been taken away. God doesn't condemn you. The Bible says at the end of the chapter, in Romans chapter 8, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Nobody gets to point a finger. The Satan doesn't get to point the finger. Jesus died. And all judgment is left to the Son. But there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of spirit of life in Jesus, Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now as we read Romans chapter 8, I want you to notice with me, 
how, how the thought begins to develop. Every verse is talking about the spirit and the flesh. Paul said to us in, in other passages of Scripture that the spirit and the flesh warreth with one another. How many of you remember that? How many of you would agree with that? There is a constant battle. The Apostle Paul himself said, the things I should be doing, I'm not doing. The things I shouldn't be doing, I am doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. He said, there's a constant battle, a constant war of my flesh and the Spirit of God and the things I, I... Listen, let's be honest. We read the Scripture and we read sometimes what Paul says and we go, oh, he wasn't real kind to that church over there. <laughs> he, he was a little harsh in what he said there. And, and Paul will later come back a lot of times and admit it and say, yeah, I didn't come to you with very kind words. It wasn't really... Uh, I wasn't all that polished. And so we recognize sometimes his faults and his failures. And he says, I, I, there's a war of the flesh and the spirit. And, and it, it comes out to us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You say, I am in the flesh. Yes, physically we are, but we are to submit ourselves to the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to God. And there are times where we, we slip out of that, don't we? We get in the flesh and we fail and we fall and we, we sin against God. And, and it's a constant battle to keep our, Paul says, I, I, I keep my body under subjection lest I become a castaway. I, I got to battle daily with my flesh. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Understand the apostle is boiling salvation down to a very simple principle. You either have the Spirit of God or you don't. You understand that we are saved by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that a man must be born of the water and he must be born of the Spirit. A spiritual rebirth. A birth that transforms your life, that gives you new life in Christ. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are new creatures in Christ. It is a transforming salvation when the Spirit of God comes in. Uh, the, uh, the Apostle John said it this way, He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're either in or you're out. You're saved or you're lost. You're, you're born again or you're a child of the world. Uh, friends, which are you? Do you know Christ? Is the Spirit of God dwelling within you? Verse 10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Understand this, this indwelling spirit of God that comes into the life of a believer upon our salvation is not just the comforter. He is the comforter. He is not just a presence. He is not just that still small voice that guides us and directs us. He is all of those things. But the Bible says he is the spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead. He is a powerful spirit. He is God. 
And we need to recognize him as such. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so again, putting off the works of the flesh, mortifying, that means to make dead the deeds of the body. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now read verse 17 with me and tuck it away in your mind for later. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's pray. Father, help us in your word today. Speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be attentive to the Spirit's pleadings. And Lord, I pray that as the word of God comes forth, that each one of us would understand this is not Alfieri. This is God's word. Lord, I don't, I don't mean to, to take any more authority or anything that I shouldn't, but I pray that all authority would be in the Word of God and enforced in our hearts and lives by the Spirit of God. So, Lord, speak to us, we pray. Lord, I need your help. I ask that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit and use me today to preach your Word. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back up to verse 14 with me in Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want to preach some message this morning with God's help titled, Abba, Father. But I want to outline for a moment this relationship that we have with God because of salvation. The Bible says in verse 14 there that we are, if we are, have the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. Ladies, I don't think you're doing scripture injustice by substituting the word daughters. Or you might just want to say, I'm a child of God, or I'm part of God's family. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I, would, I, I, I believe with all my heart when John chapter 1 verse 12 says the word power, I believe it's referring to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came into my life and transformed me, he put me into the family of God. He made me God's child. The Bible says, and we'll look in a moment, how the Spirit beareth witness with us that we are the sons of God. I believe that's the power it's speaking. Listen, it says, to them gave he power. God did not infuse in my life more muscular strength or more physical power or something in my mind transformed in my thinking that made me think, okay, now I'm a child of God. No, no, the Spirit came in. That is the power and transform my life, and he bears witness with me daily that I am his child. Now think about this. What else does the Spirit bear witness of in the Word of God? You say, well, the Spirit guides us. Yes, he guides us. 
You say the Spirit gives comfort. He is the comforter or the paraclete. He is the one that comes alongside and bears my griefs and my sorrows. And Absolutely, he does. You say, well, the, the, the Spirit of God will rebuke me and correct me when I sin. And Absolutely, he is a reproving spirit. We understand that. But only one time in the Bible does it say that he bears witness with us. That word means to confirm something. And it's this, he confirms that you're his child. He confirms that you're a child of God. He bears witness with your spirit. And those days when you're doubting and say, I, don't, I sometimes don't look like the Christian. I don't bear a family resemblance to Christ. There's nothing within me that is any good. The spirit will bear witness with your spirit and remind you of that moment you accepted Christ, that the spirit of God came in and transformed you and placed you into his family. And he says, you're my child. He said, why is that significant? Because I believe... Because of the wording of Scripture, that is the most important thing to the Father. Now, you say, well, what about people getting saved? Well, they're not saved. I'm talking about for the child of God, somebody that is saved, God wants you to know you're his child. It's important to him. Yes, he'll comfort you. Yes, he'll chasten you. Yes, he'll, he'll uh, guide you and direct you. You can listen to that still, small voice. He can give you peace in a situation. But the only thing he bears witness about, according to the word of God, is he wants to let you know every day, you're my child. What love to know that we are his children. The Bible says that the spirit within us makes us a child of God. Verse 15, why? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. Look at that next word. What is it? Again. Do you know what that implies? It implies you had it before. You were once under the spirit of bondage. We were once outcasts. We were once slaves to this world in a place of sin. But here's what he has done for us. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an intimate term. It's like you using the word dad, or a child might say daddy. It is a term of endearment that we might cry out when in fear. Dad. I I remember seeing a a program years ago, and this, this young family, these two children had been adopted. And they didn't know what to call the gentleman that had adopted them. They what do we call him? Their father had died, and they had called him a something, and they said, well, do we call him, I think it was Pops? And he said, no, there's only one. That was, that was Pops. They said, how about Dad? Can we call him Dad? These children had lived with this family for a long time, and finally they were adopted, and, and they went to the father, and they said, listen, would it be okay now that we're, can we call you Dad? The father began to weep, and he says, nothing would make me happier. You know, sometimes when we're adopted, has anybody here been adopted? Anybody here? Oh, down here, my wife's been adopted. You were adopted, Sue. And so sometimes you go into a family, you know, maybe if you were adopted as a baby, you wouldn't know. But somebody gets a little bit older, maybe eight or nine years old, and the parents have died. Or perhaps there's been turmoil in the family, and they've been 
taken up and uprooted and pulled with another family for a time, and finally, they're adopted. Sometimes it takes a while for that person to feel the intimacy to say, Mom or Dad. Have you seen that? Sometimes they'll call them Mr. or Mrs. because that was the name that they knew them by while they were being fostered. Or perhaps during that time of relationship, they were growing and they they would get more comfortable, maybe even call them by their first name, but eventually get to the point where they can say, that's my mom and that's my dad. Understand this. What the scripture is saying to us today is that we have been not given the spirit of bondage again unto fear. But God has sent the spirit of adoption. You say, why is that significant? Because the spirit of adoption has one job. His job is to bring you into the family of God and to help you understand he is Abba, Father. He is Abba, Father. In the Old Testament, when a Jewish person prayed and they used the word Father, It was always implied this term of endearment. Always. But in the Greek, it is not. By the time the Jews got to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first century of the the early church, that was no longer a common thing. They no longer prayed to an intimate God. Understand, they had just come through 400 years of of a period where they didn't hear from God. That doesn't mean that God wasn't answering their prayers. That doesn't mean that God wasn't honoring their sacrifices. That doesn't mean that they weren't uh, experiencing a relationship with God. But for some reason, the prophets were not being stirred. And the word of God was not coming directly from God in direct revelation anymore. And for 400 years, they wondered what is going on. And somewhere along that period, they lost that intimacy. We get to the first century, and they're no longer saying, Abba, Father. The Apostle Paul says, there's something you need to understand. The spirit of adoption, which is the spirit of God, by the way. This is just another name for him. The spirit of adoption has a function. And his function is to make you feel like part of the family. To make you understand that you can cry out, Abba, Father, that you can have an intimate God and a personal God in your life. That's what the spirit of adoption does. Now look back at Galatians chapter 6. Sorry, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I want you to notice something. Now listen, the word Abba only appears three times in the whole New Testament. In the Old Testament, it is implied. When you see the word Father talking to God, it is implied. But in the New Testament, it only happens three times. Romans chapter 8, we see that it's called the spirit of adoption that helps us understand that we have an intimate, loving, caring, not just a father, a dad. There's an intimacy there that allows us to cry out to God. In Galatians chapter 4, notice what it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Now I told you in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 to tuck that verse away. How many of you did? How many of you got it memorized? Romans 8, 17, you all know what it says? All right, Galatians chapter 1, or Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, tuck that verse away as well. We're going to come back to it in a moment. Look at verse 2. But as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father, even so we, when we were children, were in 
Bondage. Now, there's another word that's similar, isn't it? The word bondage. Under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That ye might receive what? The adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now notice this. The Bible says here, we, we talked about in Romans chapter 8, that we have the spirit of adoption. Notice what it says here. Paul gets a, little, a step further. He says, now it's the spirit of his son. Now understand, there's one Holy Spirit. But we also know God is Jehovah, El Shaddai. We, how many names of God could we? Hundreds. We watched that video last Sunday morning and for 12 minutes went on just the names of God. The Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of Adoption. He's known as the Comforter. But he's also known as the Spirit of the Son. The Spirit of the Son. see, why is that significant? What, what difference does it make? It's just the Spirit. No, there is a difference. The spirit of adoption comes into our lives and says, here's my purpose. I want you to understand, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to call myself the spirit. I'm going to call myself the spirit of adoption. Because I want you to know I'm bringing you into a family. I want you to know that I'm going to teach you that God is not just your father. He is your dad. He's loving. He's intimate. He's personal. But now in Galatians, Paul says, i got to take this a step further. I want you to know that the spirit of the son is also involved here. Now, wait a minute. Why is that different? It's the same spirit. It is the same spirit, but it's talking about the function. You see, why is that significant? Remember I told you there was three times in the Bible the word Abba appears? Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, and the other one is Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we come to a point in the Lord Jesus Christ's life where he's just finished the Last Supper with the disciples. And he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That's where he loved to pray. He'd retreat from the city. And I, I believe, I, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and from the Garden of Gethsemane, you can stand up on that hill, and you can see, on, it's on the Mount of Olives, you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. And I think Jesus loved to pray there because he prayed for Jerusalem. Didn't Jesus say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you together? I believe he's standing there watching that city, people running to and fro. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes Peter, James, and John and they come out a little bit from the rest and he walks a little ways and he says, I need to pray. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. You remember that? Jesus is about to be betrayed. So Peter, James, and John, they sit down and Jesus, the Bible says, goes a little bit further and he falls on his face before God and you know what he says? Abba. Father, Dad, when Jesus would stand in a synagogue and pray, he'd say, Father. When he taught the disciples to pray, he'd say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When he blessed the bread and break the bread and the fishes, he would pray, Father. But when he got all alone with God, he said, Dad, 
I'm sorrowful. I'm hurting. I'm scared. They said Jesus wasn't scared. Why not? He was sorrowful. You face what he was facing and tell me you wouldn't be scared. We often think about when he says, let this cup pass from me, we, we think about the suffering of the cross. No doubt in my mind, the most painstaking torture there ever was. But friends, I don't know that that was the greatest pain Jesus felt. How about the sins of the entire world placed upon him? How about knowing that his father would have to look away for the first time in eternity to have broken fellowship with his father because of your sin and mine? So he fell on his face and he said, Dad, Abba, help me. Please let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But I'm sorrowful. He went back to see if his friends were praying and they were sleeping. I don't mean to look at you, Rick. I'm not blaming you. And they were asleep. He said, why could you not watch with me one hour? And he went again and he found him asleep again. And he went again and he found him asleep a third time. And this time he said, sleep on. Let him rest. But notice the intimacy. You say, what's all this mean? Here's what it means. In Romans chapter 8, we have the spirit of adoption. The Spirit of God comes and He says, I am your adoption agent. I am the advocate. I am the lawyer that is going to make this transaction take place. I'm going to put you into the family of God. And not only that, I'm going to teach you. He's not just a father. He's a dad. He's intimate. He's personal. He loves you. Then Paul said to the Galatians, he said this, You've been adopted in the family by the Spirit of the Son. Now, Rick, come up here for a minute, would you? I'm sorry, you got. Can you come up here for a minute? I won't embarrass you. I promise you. I promise you, I won't. If I want to embarrass somebody, I bring Cody up. All right, just turn around. Why is this significant? The Spirit. You say, "Well, I got the Spirit of God dwelling in me." Yes, you do. If you're saved. What's the difference between the spirit of adoption and the spirit of the son? The spirit of adoption is already working in Rick and saying, you're his child. He loves you. Tomorrow when you mess up, he says, you're still his child. And I may chasten you, but I love you. You can come to me. You can cry, Abba, Father. But the spirit of the son does this. Jesus comes and puts his arm around you and he says, I'm not just teaching you something. I've been there. I was in the garden. And I had to pray, Abba, Father. And you can too. Sorrow? I was sorrowful unto death. But when I was sorrowful unto death, here's what I did, Rick. I said, Father, Abba, Dad, help me. You can too. Suffering? Oh, did I have suffering? Rick, if you've got suffering, you can cry to Abba Father too. See, the spirit of adoption teaches us the spirit of Christ. It says, I've been there. I'm in that boat. I cried, Abba Father. I believe, you have seen, I believe with all my heart 
that the only other time we see it in the Bible is when Jesus said it for that very reason, so we could connect the spirit of the Son to what the Son actually did. Now here's, remember I told you to mark those verses in your mind? Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. What does Romans chapter 8 verse 17 say? Read it, look at it, just look at it. I'm going to pull a word out of there. Joint heirs. What's Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 say? In summary, we are heirs of Christ. When the Spirit of the Son comes alongside you, He's not just saying, I've been there, I know your sorrow, I know your pain, I, I, you can cry out to Abba, Father. What He is saying is, we are joint heirs. If you're a child of God, you're a brother of Christ. And He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And He comes alongside and He whispers in your ear, Yes, I know your sorrow. I know your grief. I know I was in the garden. Here's what I did. I laid aside all formality. I didn't stand up at a synagogue and pray some big formal prayer. I wept and I cried unto Abba, Father. And he heard me. And you can do the same. Because you're a joint heir. That means everything that Jesus gets, you get too. You're a joint heir of Christ. Now let me ask you this in closing. How many of you think what Jesus faced was one of the most difficult things in history? Incredible. There, there are men on death row that are facing execution. And some will receive a needle or some might. I, I don't know. Are they still using an electric chair? I don't, we don't have it in Canada, so I don't know. Some places, a firing squad. Some, they used to hang people. But what all those things had in common was it was over in a second. Jesus suffered for hours on the cross of Calvary. The weight of the sin of the world. Listen, I know when I sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit makes me sick to my stomach. It's just a weight that I, I, I have a hard time with. Jesus had to wear all those sins of the world upon him. He had to bear his father turning away. And he said, well, what did Jesus do? He said, Ahaba. I don't have time for formal, stuffy prayers. I, what I need to do is cry out to my father. Let me ask you this. If Jesus faced all that, do you think there's anything in your life he can't hear? Is there anything in your life that you can't take to him? Is there anything in your life that you can't lay down and trust Jesus with? Father, I'm hurting. He knows. And he says, I... I I, I, I don't want to be some far off. I, I looked up the word father. You know what it says in the dictionary? Progenitor. That sounds really exciting, doesn't it? You ever written a letter to your dad and said, Hi, progenitor, how are you? It, it's, 
But to have a dad is a term of intimacy. Sometimes we get up in church and we say, Oh, Holy Father, and what we're saying is, Oh, progenitor of the world in some far off place. I'm hoping you can hear me. God says, No, I want to be intimate in your life. I'm your Abba, Father. You can take anything to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for being a personal God. There are so many theological systems out there that believe that God set the earth in motion and he's some far-off, impersonal God. But Lord, you sent the spirit of adoption and the spirit of your Son to teach us that you want to have an intimate relationship with us. That we can cry out to you at any moment and know you're there and listening. Lord, help us to just grasp that. Help us to give thanks and praise for who you are. I know there's folks in here today that are grieving the loss of a loved one and the loss of a friend. And I know there's people here with sorrow. I know there's people here that are struggling under the weight of the burdens of life. And I just pray, Lord, that they would know today and be reminded that because Jesus could go to his Father and we are joint heirs with him, that he's encouraging us to do the same. Lord, help us to know this personal God who loves us. Help us to draw closer to you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God has spoke to your heart, the altar is open even now. You may come.